0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday on South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Guerra. Marler, it is bowl season, like real bowl season.
1: Yeah, it's. It, I mean, finally, it's uh It should be pretty good too. There's there's a lot of good bowl games. I, I hate to say this, I know we're an SEC podcast, but um, I don't know if I'm I'm gonna be as excited for any bowl as I was for the Liberty Coastal Carolina game. Um, but yeah, there's some really good matchups here. I'm, I'm excited for this.
0: Liberty of Carolina, a certain Malik Willis taking down Coastal. I, I'm not saying, I'm just saying it happened. And the unfortunate thing is I actually was on vacation during that, so I didn't even get to watch Malik Willis shine on the big stage once again. But I appreciate anybody who tweeted at me, what is Connor doing while watching this game? Thank you for anybody who did that. We have a full, full preview for all of the SEC Bowls that are actually being played. It is a bummer that as we sit here on Wednesday morning recording this, that four SEC bowl games have been canceled. That's canceled, not postponed. Arkansas TCU, Mizzou, Iowa, Tennessee, West Virginia, South Carolina, UAB, which that feels like a lifetime ago at this point. But bummer that these teams didn't necessarily get to go out with one last hurrah. And I don't know if it makes a difference that like so three of the four teams were sitting on three or fewer wins. I don't know if that matters, but I think for a lot of these fan bases, they just wanted something to feel good about, and it just kind of sucks that they're not going to get it.
1: Yeah, that Arkansas-TCU matchup was, uh, was what I was really excited for. I think out of, out of the ones that got canceled. Um, I mean, Mizzou-Iowa, like I, <laughs> I feel like you might have been excited for that one. Or like Adam Kramer. Would have been really excited for that one. Oh yeah, um, yeah. because it's just a, it's a battle of just state fairground, uh, you know, like teams. But I I don't I, I don't know. I think that that Arkansas, especially just with the season they had, and I think if there was a team outside of maybe Ole Miss that really, I'm not going to say captured the hearts, but but you know, uni- like were universally accepted and, and, and cheered for in the SEC. I think it was Arkansas.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. And the good news for Arkansas is that yeah, you don't get this offseason momentum, but. Probably by the time that we're finished recording, another senior is going to announce that they're coming back to Arkansas. They've had seven seniors announce that they're coming back. Some of these guys that are taking advantage of this free year of eligibility, really kind of cool to see what's been happening at Arkansas. And obviously we've talked a lot about the culture that Sam Pittman has built there. But yeah, I mean, for Arkansas fans who kind of had a frustrating end to the season, I think they just dealt with depth. I agree. I, I think it would have been really, really exciting to be able to see them play. And, and for Tennessee, this is like the anti Tennessee, right? Like I was fully prepared for Tennessee to build up the hype train going into the off season with some sort of like random bull win to suggest, Oh yeah, Jeremy Pruitt's turning the corner. And then, you know, instead we've seen Tennessee, you know, have guys like DeAndre Johnson enter the transfer portal, and it's just been kind of a, a weird couple weeks. You know, all kind of highlighted as well by this bowl cancellation. So I guess the Tennessee hype train is not going to get going after all. Oh, it'll get going.
1: It'll get going, and I'm going to do my best to start it. Um, but yeah, it, it was it's weird because I I um I took some time away from from work and just didn't you know kind of like unplugged away from everything, and uh, and then I when I came back I was like reading through everything and I was like holy blank uh, this I mean like. It, you know, I saw like the Sarkeesian news, of how much money he was getting, and then it was like one thing after another. I felt like I felt like Austin Powers when he like uh, was like unfrozen. Oh yeah, and he yeah. was like, he's like, oh, I can't believe everyone she was gay. So that's that's what I felt like like learning about all these these uh, opt outs and bowl cancellations as well. The opt outs thing I thought was kind of interesting because it seems like it's more and more of a trend. Like like the numbers itself seem like there are they're higher than ever before. And we, and we kind of thought this would happen just with the nature of it. And that, you know, like protecting your draft stock, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think the, you know, really the poster boy for this was Christian McCaffrey and, and it could not have worked out better for him um, when he did that. So, but then Kirby Smart had a comment yesterday where um, he actually did a little like deep dive. It did, or probably had somebody else do a deep dive for him. Yeah. Uh, and it was like 56 of the top 62 picks in last year's NFL draft did not opt out of bowl games. So I thought that was really interesting as well.
0: Yeah. And and opting out this year just feels weird because, you know, and Kirby talked about this as well, this dynamic that you have to balance as a coach when you had this pandemic season where, you know, it's been pretty well documented. A lot of these guys, you know, haven't seen their family. Some of them since like March or April, they haven't been home. And then there are others who, you know, haven't been home since like June and some of these kids who like just wanted to be able to go home for Christmas and then they either come right. back and they test positive for COVID, or they're just like, you know what, I don't want to have to come back and go through all of this to play in a bowl game that really doesn't matter a whole lot in terms of big picture stuff like that. And it feels like it can only hurt me. So like I and so from that standpoint, it, it's frustrating because I know there are a lot of fan bases who are like, man, it sucks. It's just like left and right, these players are opting out, but like the just the the basic dynamics of what it means to opt out yeah. for a bowl game this year. Unfortunately, there are just so many other factors that are contributing to it. So, you know, we're going to talk about some a lot of the players who have opted out in the SEC, uh, who are playing in bowl games as well. Um, but you know, we will still talk about the the guys yeah. who, who are actually still playing in these games. Wait, I was talking so. to uh, we,
1: the, the TV show we, um, that we do here in Atlanta, um, and one of the guys on that Bob whitfield who is the he was the left tackle on the pros forever, like in for the Falcons and the Giants. But he played at Stanford, and, and we were talking about this the other day, and it was just, like, generic questions, like how everyone is answering this question right now. And they asked him, and he he was, like, adamantly for opting out. And I was, like, kind of surprised, because, like, usually he's, like, super, like, rah-rah about being competitive. And he was like, no, I mean, like, I if I could have opted out of my bowl game, I would have been the number one draft pick, but I, I fell on everyone's draft board to later in the first round because I got I gave up two sacks. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Yeah.
0: Everybody's got their own their own reasoning to be able to use. It's it's tough to you know everybody's in kind of different oh. different standpoints, especially now with COVID as well.
1: But did you see the kid from Ohio- Oklahoma State last night? Oh, <laughs> did God, it God, at halftime. That.
0: that sucked. That sucked. Like okay, well, who's the guy in the NFL? I think it was um oh the guy oh, who gosh, quit. It was the oh it was the safety from it was uh, from Bonnie Buffalo, Davis, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. retired at halftime. <laughs> yeah, like this is basically the same thing. You're like, wait a minute. What what are we what are we calling opting out at this point? Because oh, man, like that's was, not opting out. Like bro, that's just that's just straight up quitting yeah, at half time. I've had oh, bad
1: sets gosh. before, like on stage, where I've like wanted to opt out in the middle of it. But like that that is that is next level. Like I mean, I, guess, I it, it, But they said it was planned. I, I don't know. I'm not gonna get into it. But it was
0: it just was very um, surprising. I'll say. Uh, I, we opted out out of many a holiday movie about fifteen twenty minutes in when we realized okay this. <laughs> This is just so terrible. We can't watch an hour and a Did half. Did you watch of this. the holiday? This is not worth it. Yes, I have seen the holiday. I we we watched the holiday like within the first few days that it was out on Netflix. We watched that like way ahead. It's I think fantastic. even before thanksgiving it was a really really solid christmas movie. Yeah. there are a lot of solid christmas movies that are out there by the way merry christmas to anybody who is maybe celebrating late or something like that i know people probably have weird celebrations this year but uh, merry christmas happy new year to everyone and hope that you are staying safe happy and healthy all right marler we have so much to get to yeah we have so so much to get to but before we get to everything everything I know that there are a lot of people who, you know, on New Year's Eve, maybe you like to do your hors d'oeuvres, your appetizers. If you're Stanley Hudson, you call them appetizers. Oh, yeah. But with these appetizers, you have yourself some Texas Pete. I, I can only assume.
1: Without a doubt, and it's they're they're called appa pizzas. First off, um, mm-hmm. let's make that a thing. But yeah, guys, uh, Christmas Christmas did not come. Um, uh, I guess to the the Marler household here in Atlanta in the form of Texas Pete. I was very disappointed in Allie and Queso, and honestly, Chips, our new puppy, as well, because um, none of them got me uh, bottles of Texas Pete for Christmas. And when I asked why, Allie actually brought up a very valid point. She said because you already have seven in the pantry and uh, and in the uh, what do you call it, in the fridge. So my my next question would be how many how many Texas Pete bottles do you have? At your house, and and I want to say that there were several people that reached out with some some Christmas uh, dishes, I guess, um, and and um, I, I keep thinking appetizers now, and I can't I can't I was gonna say recipes. Yeah, sorry, that's my fault. Um, yep. But but yes, they reached out with some uh, some recipe help. I mean, shout out to uh, uh, Brian Isaacs, especially who who sent me um, a recipe for deviled eggs, and I butchered it. So he, he had some incredible deviled eggs that he actually used Texas Pete in. You can use it on everything, guys. You can use it um, for all sorts of dishes. And if you have a holiday dish coming up, I know New Year's Day, big big day for greens um, mm. and some black-eyed peas and stuff like that, I'm telling you right now, i put some Texas Pete on all of that. So make sure you get a bottle today. Try out the Texas Pete dust uh, and the wing sauce as well. Uh, and ring the New Year right. Not with champagne, with Texas Pete.
0: There we go. Wednesday. We are recording this on a Wednesday. So maybe by the time people are hearing this, this game will have already happened. Just take a step back in time with us and pretend that it hasn't happened yet if you are listening to this after Wednesday. The Cotton Bowl. Oklahoma is a three and a half point favorite against Florida. The over-under that I have is points allowed by Oklahoma. And I set the over-under at 54. Why 54, you ask? Not because it is the number of the great, legendary Horace Grant, but because that is how many points that SEC teams have averaged in the last three years against Oklahoma in the postseason. Do I think Florida's actually going to hit 54 points? Probably not, but I just wanted to throw that number out there and say, Marler, am I missing something here, or is that really, really bad? It's really bad. That's really bad.
1: I, I was so excited for this this game on on paper Um until obviously all the things that have happened now that uh, that have, you know, changed the line, um, that have like all the opt outs and stuff like that. I, I honestly, looking at this, you think about Oklahoma and Florida, I was like, there, there's going to be more scoring in this game than at a high school prom. And I was super excited oh, yeah. for it. But now there's like, <laughs> I was going through it last night and I was like writing down my notes and I was like, wow, Pitts uh, and Grimes and Tony opted out. Well, at least they had Jacob Copeland. And then it was like, Jacob, nope. Jacob Copeland also opted out. So I think. Um, Test positive for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. But exactly. So I think that. Um. It, I don't know if the game has lost any of its luster per se. I'm still really excited for this, and, and I, I think it would speak volumes of not just the SEC but also Florida if they were able to come in here and, and pull an upset because you're talking about a line a line moving six points is yeah. unheard of. Um. And and I I get you know I totally understand why. I wonder how this passing game looks without Kyle Tress top four weapons, and you talk about the, the yeah. two of the the three leading receivers after those four guys, because those are the top four leading receivers on the team, are, are both running backs. So I, I wonder oh, yeah. how that looks.
0: Wheel routes. Wheel routes. All wheel day. Routes, and more wheel routes. Just all day. I, I think this is such a unique game for Kyle Trask because we know there, there are so, still some people out there, and shout out to our producer, Will, who believe that Kyle Trask is not what he was hyped up to be this year and they think that he was a product what? of these weapons. These weapons that Florida has had. And now you take away his four top pass catchers. Look, that's that, it, also is not with, an
1: equal argument. Like if yeah, he has a bad I mean, game, you can't have people like it'll happen, of course, but like people dunking on him for not playing well with, with See what happens? It's, <laughs> it's like what? Yeah.
0: Like, okay, yeah, take away any quarterback's top four receivers and see how they perform. Um, Huge opportunity ahead for Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, uh, Gamble and Zipper, the tight ends Mm -hmm. who have been Kyle Pitts' understudies, who have have both been really, really good when called upon. Um, So I, I think this is just such a unique opportunity for Trask. Uh, An opportunity to kind of silence those doubters, but you know, because there's going to be those people who are going to say if if Florida loses this game, which Florida's an underdog now, that if Florida loses three in a row, they'll say that Florida collapsed. But what they'll also probably forget is that Lamar Jackson, back in 2016 when he won the Heisman, lost three in a row to end the season. Who was Lamar Jackson's defensive coordinator that year? Oh my god, it was Grantham. Todd Grantham. So I'm just saying the the Heisman. I've been saying it all along. Grantham is the, is the key to, to all of this. And by the way, on Todd Grantham's defense, they will not have Sean Davis and Marco Wilson who throws a shoe. That's the second Austin Powers reference of this here podcast. <laughs> um, that might be a good thing. That might be a good thing. I don't know. Florida's defensive backfield has just been wrecked this year. They're down to 60 scholarship players apparently going into this game. And I get the feeling that... Florida should still be competitive. Like, Dan Mullen, you know, I, I, maybe I go back to this, this what, what he did in the Peach Bowl a couple years ago against Michigan, but, like, his team doesn't really lay down. Like, that's not necessarily... Be, like... We saw against Bama. They still put up forty-six points, which I feel like not enough people were talking points. about. <laughs> like, no, they still put up forty-six points yeah. in a game. Uh, you know, yeah. on Nick Saban's defense in a yeah. game where I thought they were pretty much eliminated from playoff contention. I know some people would beg to. Oh, you're saying like, they, different? Like,
1: they, they're not giving up on the season. T- yeah, okay. Exactly. They, that's
0: my point. Yeah, yeah. going to come out and play. I think.
1: Well, it's a, and so, and I think that's a good example. Um, in in one sense with the talk about the SC championship. There is also more riding on that game though, because it's, you know, as Doring would say, yeah. as Spurrier would say, like it's a ring game. Um, and, and they also had uh, more of their weapons in that game. So I, I wonder, I'm not saying like that, that's like wrong or anything, but I, I just wonder how different it looks because again, I mean, you're talking about the top four guys being out, that, that's, I was honestly a little bit surprised at these numbers because I thought they were kind of low. But th- those four guys, Copeland, Grimes, Pitts, and uh, who am I forgetting right now? Um, and, Tony, and, and Tony. Yeah, and, and Tony. They they combined for 61% of Kyle Trask's completions this year, 65% of his passing yards, um, which I, I thought that was way lower than I would have guessed. I mean, the t- those top four guys in this offense, but they also combined for 79% of his, his passing touchdowns on the season. So how are they going to mm-hmm. score? Is, is Mullen going to get too cute? Like I always say, like when he gets close to the goal line or in the red zone, um, it, the stat that keeps like sticking out to me the most. And you talked about, are they going to be up for this game? I think Dan Mullen will be able to motivate his team. And, and you, you also have a lot of younger guys who now get a chance to prove themselves. And, and a lot of talented guys. Like You talked about Zipper especially. That was a high, high four-star recruit um, that's played yeah. really well, even though he's still young. Um, here's a stat that I uh, came across from our good buddy Mike Calabrese, uh, who does the betting stuff article for us on SDS. Power five teams that lost in a conference title game are three mm. and seven in the last two years um, in, in their bowl games. Three of those games were obviously against, uh, against the runner-ups of each conference. So you're going to automatically get three wins from that. In the four games that featured a, a a power five conference runner up and any other team, so like a conference title winner, like this, like this game is, uh, they were 0 and four and lost by an average of 10
0: points. Yikes! So that's not great. That's not great. Oklahoma's defense is better this year. I it hate is significantly this. <laughs> better. Yeah. So, I mean. Oklahoma has the number one third, the number 31 defense in FBS. They've held six straight opponents to less than 30 points, which is unheard of for Oklahoma. That's not been the norm, obviously, during the Lincoln-Riley era. Florida, on the other hand, of course, has scored at least 30 points in every single game that it has played this year. So the old something's got to give thing, yeah, sure, whatever. Is Oklahoma going to come out and apply pressure to Kyle Trask for 60 minutes where I think they'll shut him down? No, absolutely not. You're not going to shut down, down Trask for 60 minutes. You can't. You just can't. I, I think this uh, this this offense is too dynamic. They have too many different little wrinkles that are that are part of it. They're going to be able to get some guys open, but. I would probably side with you in that I think Oklahoma, you know, you would look at all these elements and say they should be able to win this game with those absences. But I think Florida's still going to put up points. And I'm actually going to take Florida to cover and lose a three-point game in this one. Maybe like a 41 to 38 type of game in which we see Kyle Trask play really well, right. but once again, this Florida defense just does not have the horses to shut down Spencer Radler who's been much better since early in the season. You don't call him offense, that obviously still has a lot of firepower. Spencer Radler
1: looks like one of the kids from that animated series Recess came to life, um, but that's neither here nor there. Oh yeah, they um, So <sighs> You're not gonna you're not gonna shit down Kyle Trask for sixty minutes. I went back and rewatched the SEC championship game the other day, and and I was just blown away at some of the the balls that that Trask threw. And, and I know he missed a couple, and like there were some people that kind of hung on to those, like you know they could have won if this happened. Like he yeah. he played out of his mind in that game, and and like just going back and rewatching it, um, God, there was a there was a ball he threw uh on the seam, um, it was like a like almost like a skinny post to 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 Tony that just could not have been put in a more perfect spot and it was like blanket coverage and it was it was just perfect. It was beautiful. So I mean he's he's gonna put the ball where it needs to be. Are his players are his you know receivers and running backs and tight ends or whatever, are they gonna be able to make um plays? I think that will be the question. And you you brought up are is this Oklahoma defense um gonna be able to get at from sixty minutes. Oklahoma's defense, I hate this narrative of how this dude, this defense is not like the Oklahoma defense of old. It's gonna be outside of the trash didn't start in high school thing that that one phrase is just gonna be used ad nauseum all day uh for this game but they they do have um a really good pass rush they have 36 sacks this year which is um yep. which is fourth in the country and and that doesn't seem like a huge concern or even that much because florida you know they had 33 themselves and were six in the country however florida's offense uh offensive line has given up 19 sacks in a year again not that bad but they've given up nine of those in the past two weeks. So I, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to go with Florida. I really want to just bang the drum for the SEC here. I, I think Oklahoma wins. And I think it's like one of those like Bob Stoops-esque like a-hole games where like they win by like nine, but it was a lot closer the entire time. And, and, and I tell you what, what I would love to see out of this is just an absolute one more heroic like uh, you know a performance out of Kyle Trask. Because if he goes out there – with this cast and that's not like yeah. a slight to those guys but if he goes out there with this cast and still puts up the same numbers he's been putting up it's very difficult to not say he should win the Heisman
0: oh that's interesting Heisman Heisman voting is is in it, it's it's in the books it's it's locked in but It would be fascinating to see kind of if there is any sort of like that buyer's remorse a little bit if he goes out there and balls. And that's not to take away from any of the other candidates who have already been, you know, who haven't played yet, obviously, who are all in the playoff. But still, yeah, he is is a, a prime opportunity to make one loud statement. Thursday, on New Year's Eve, we're going to have the Armed Forces Bowl with Mississippi State and Tulsa. Tulsa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under that I have is references to Army. <laughs> uh, I have the over-under set at two. Of course, Army was the team that everybody wanted to play in this game, and Army still got to play in a bowl game. Thanks a lot, Tennessee. But um, let's just say it ruffled some feathers, and it kind of you know didn't really sit well with the college football world that that army did not get to play in the armed forces bowl and was somehow left out of a bowl game in favor of a Mississippi State team that won three games this year.
1: Yeah, I don't. So why, why did that happen? I'm very confused. Like, not just why did that happen in general for a bowl game because they were nine and two and a great team. Um, and, and I tell you what, like if you were, I know it's not the committee like, like the playoff committee that, that was choosing this bowl game, but if you were a part of the group that chose Mississippi State over Army, and this is not a slight at Mississippi State. But after hearing Army's head coach come out and, and say the like that speech about how these guys are defending your freedom, these guys are going off to war and like all this like fighting for the country, and you couldn't give them like one extra bowl game, I was oh man, like I mean they they yeah. should have put them in the national championship, especially over Ohio State. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is always this one like kind of weirds me out like this this bowl because it's like the Texas bowl almost. Like I I just assume that there's going to be at least one school from Texas in it, and in this one, I would assume one of these schools would be a military school, but here we are.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean, you would assume that they're, they're going to run the triple option, and you're going to get to see 60 minutes of, oh, can we stop this? Can we stop this? And maybe, you know, instead you get literally the exact opposite of the triple option. You get the air raid Mike Leach offense that's going to probably throw the ball upwards of 50 times yeah. in this game. It, it's a raw deal that they got, but, man, I was just surprised that people were banging the drum so hard uh, for Army. But nonetheless, Mississippi State gets to play in this game. This is now, we talk about the Tennessee hype train, what can happen if it gets going. Um, this is now Mike Leach offseason hype train time. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why here. Because you look at the season that, that Mississippi State had, obviously, and it, I mean, after after LSU, they did not have, in my opinion, a really impressive performance. I thought there, there were two other wins, it's like, all right, come on who you're really beaten here, a Mizzou team that was really, really banged up and depleted, and obviously the Vandy win as well. Tulsa's a top 25 team, like a legit top 25 team. Yeah. So there's there's that aspect of it. You also have Mississippi State coming off of the, the blowout win against a decent Mizzou team. You get, so you would theoretically get to end the season on a two game winning streak if you're able to win this game. You've already got your promising true freshman quarterback and Will Rogers, so you'd feel pretty good about that moving forward. Mississippi State just had three players named to the SEC's all freshmen. Yeah. That was tied for the league high. So if you're looking for you know, positives moving forward, that's certainly one. But then the, the thing that's kind of at the, the forefront of all of this is a lot of people who are going to get on this MSU hype train in the offseason. They're going to point to Leach's year two bump. Texas Tech improved by eight points per game from year one to year two. Washington State improved by 11 points per game from year one to year two. And nothing's official yet with this, but it's looking like MSU is going to be able to keep defensive coordinator Zach Garnett, who in my opinion in year one has done a fantastic job and probably wasn't getting enough love nationally for what he did given what they, they had returning production and all the veterans that they were out, especially in the last two years, all the guys that they've had go to the NFL. So yeah, the hype train I think only gets going with a win but I mean you're looking you're talking about a Mississippi State team that I think is going to really appreciate the chance that it has to be able to play in this bowl game and would doesn't mind the fact that it's sitting there at three and seven. It's just like, let's go play another football game and let's see if we can build some offseason momentum.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it like everything you said is spot on, for one. And and two, see I don't know how big the hype train will be for Mississippi State because I think most people will look at it from the outside looking in and just say, all right, yeah, blanket statement, they were Awful for most of the year, and they they got just destroyed by all these teams because people are going to remember that you know after the LSU game, they go on this four game stretch and you know they they were averaging like I don't think they ever had over 300 yards. They they didn't score an offensive touchdown in like three or almost three of uh of four games after that, like you know Kentucky yeah. and then and then Bama and then A and M. I think they had one, but they also had a defensive touchdown that game. Um, but when you look at like how they close the season, this is like what makes bowl season great. And especially for for some of these programs that are like trying to turn the corner or trying to, you know, build off of like a momentum from a new coach because it gives a chance for like, you know, it used to be like 15 extra practices, right? Um like for like regular bowl season, not in 2020 when everything's gone, to <laughs> but like um you talk about how a team that's this young, you look at their roster from the, the players that started against Mizzou, right? Or, or played predominantly against Mizzou, they had seven underclassmen on offense. They like they're lead their quarter their quarterback, their leading running back, and their leading receiver, which I think receiver, especially that says something and speaks volumes about what's going on. They're all freshmen. They're all freshmen. And then you talk about defense, mm-hmm. they've got eight starters that are are predominantly, or I'm sorry, they have eight starters that are underclassmen as well. So there's so much young talent and, uh, and, and youth on this team that I, I think there's a lot of positives to look at if you're a Mississippi State fan. No matter if they're not getting the national attention, you know, going into next year, I think there's a lot of reasons for Mississippi State fans to get on a hype train, like for the reasons you said about Leach, um, because of the uh, underclassmen they also have. When you talk about that defense, man, if something changed later in the year, I mean, the entire season, Mississippi State's defense. Was was holding teams to 46 yards less per game than their season average, um, and I tell you what I know. This on paper looks like slam dunk. Take Tulsa. They just played Cincinnati down to the wire. They're you know they're ranked. You said it yourself. They're they're a legit ranked team. Tulsa has four of their six wins. Four were just kind of miraculous double digit comebacks. Okay. They hang around that's what
0: they do. That yeah. is what that is their MO. They hang around, they hang around, and then they pounce late. Yeah. It's like that scene from Rounders, uh, when KGB is like
1: hanging around. Um, if you've ever seen that. So but yeah, Tulsa. That's pretty good, KGB. I appreciate that. that. Good. So Tulsa I, I you're right, they're a good team. I hate that David Collins is not playing this game because he's been so much fun yeah. to watch. But I just have a feeling that when you have SEC talent going up against this team and, and they get the opportunity for once to be in a position where they are the underdog, especially, to to, to play a group of five school. You know, I, I think Mississippi State, before I looked at this next stat, I thought they were gonna they were gonna go in here and win. I'm gonna tell you right now it's my lock of bowl season that they are going to Ooh. not only cover but win outright. Thirty nine percent of bets on on this game are, are with Mississippi State. Thirty nine percent. 92% of the money is on Mississippi State. What does that What does that mean? It's sharps all day, all over Mississippi State. I, I think that hmm. they close out strong after what we saw against Mizzou, like you said. Um, and, and I think they go into the offseason
0: on a winning streak. I just thought of a third Austin Powers reference to make. Um, Tulsa is the, why won't you die? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, just very, very badly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the big wild card with Tulsa is what does it look like without saving Collins playing? Nagurski winner, somebody who, you know, national defensive player of the year. Not just like one of these good group of five defensive players, but like a guy who has made big, <laughs> big, big time big plays. national waves. Yeah, made, made some huge plays for that team. Did you get the email find from myself, them about, about voting for him for Heisman? Oh, oh yeah. They said it like that. two days those. late. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That somebody needs to tell Tulsa how like the whole Heisman thing works. Right. They're still a little bit, you know, trying to get up to date on all that stuff. But credit for them for, you know, they're, they're shooting their shot. And he was if you get like the the emails for like all the national like defensive awards and stuff yeah. like that, I was a finalist for basically everything. And I'm thinking to myself, like Man, I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of Tulsa. I've seen a little bit. I remember watching the Oklahoma State game early on. You see the game against Cincinnati. You saw what they did against UCF, winning against UCF for the second straight year. But, you know, this is a a Tulsa team that I think defensively is still really good. And I find myself siding with that. And I don't think, you know, I've seen Mississippi State struggle against these defenses who are actually good. And when the blueprint is there, I don't know. And and I'll, I'll, I'll... Fully admit that I, I'm capable of of being way off on this game. Way off. And maybe this is a game that Mississippi State comes out and puts up 45 points. And the air raid looks great. But I find myself siding with this Tulsa defense and saying that they're going to be able to to win and cover. So we're, we're, we're split on this one. But I think it should be a good game. I think it should be a really okay. good game. Friday. Peach Bowl. New Year's Day. Wake up bright and early. I love New Year's Day football. I have it's loved the best. New Year's Day football for... Like before, I became a college football fan. I loved New Year's Day football because there is nothing better than being able to wake up and know that you're going to be able to watch quality football from start to finish all day, all day. Eleven a.m. Outback
1: Bowl, twelve (sighs) thirty Gator Bowl, one o'clock Citrus Bowl. I'm talking about like when it was like the goat uh, era of like the bowl games when they didn't pin these these games against each other. Ah, man, that was the best.
0: Georgia and Cincinnati playing in the Peach Bowl. This game is on at noon Eastern time on ESPN. The over-under I have is flashbacks slash references to either the 2018 Sugar Bowl, which of course was Georgia and Texas, or the 2017 Peach Bowl, which was Auburn and UCF. Everybody remembers how those turned out. I have the over-under set at three. Oh, it'll be a million. Because I yeah. think this game will be close. Like for,
1: I I honestly think it'll be close to most of the game, um, but yeah, like like they will continue to talk about it because because that's that's what like viewers will want to see is is like
0: a, a an upset. I think so, and I think this is a, a really good draw for for the Peach Bowl. And yeah. like remember that in the playoff era that the selection committee pretty much determines what these New Year Six Bowls are going to get. Like our, our good mm-hmm. buddy Gary Stoken, it's not like he gets to call up these schools and say, hey, do you want to play in this? And, you know, I know people at the Peach Bowl are really excited that they got to have Georgia, a team that doesn't necessarily have to fly in and have, you know, fans coming in from, <laughs> from out of town or anything like that. I mean, they sold out of their tickets like that. So there are going to be people that are interested in this game because they, they love... This is one of the things about the non-playoff bowl games, I think it's great to see. I like seeing the group of five team that's against a team that's got a bunch of five-star talent, and I think that that's that's legitimately exciting. So the difference between maybe then and now with like 2017 Auburn versus UCF or something like that, those teams didn't necessarily have a quarterback on the rise quite like JT Daniels, who has a ton to play for in this game. He hasn't definitively said... I hate. He to do cannot this again. go pro. He, hasn't, he hasn't said that he's coming back yet. He's you've saying been saying this any for any months
1: stuff. now. Don't even say you hate saying it because you've been you've been like low key trolling <laughs> trolling them from this like uh, this potential like nah, I don't say disastrous news, but I mean yeah, like you you've been on this for a
0: while. He didn't come out and say, yes, I'm without a doubt coming back in 2021. He's like, you know, I haven't even been home since, you know, April or whatever it was. And I just want to be able to, you know, kind of, I I plan, you know, one week at a time moving forward and and that's it. So I'm not saying that Georgia fans should be waiting on pins and needles for JT Daniels' decision. Because if I had to to bet, I'm going to bet that he's coming back to Georgia for another year. But after the Jamie Newman thing, I think Georgia fans are still probably skeptical of a quarterback trying to capitalize on what mock drafts are saying or what you know what 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 the experts are saying. Because if he goes off in this game and all of a sudden that discussion starts and people are like, "Oh, hey, this dude's draft eligible and he looks pretty NFL ready," you just never know with these things, and that's that's bowl season for you. I'm trying to think of
1: like first of all, I just, I'm looking up the latest mock draft from CBS. Um, I, I just I feel like. There's way too they say every single year there's gonna be like, you know, seven quarterbacks in the first round that they have projected. Uh, yeah. And it's it's never yeah, like that's... that. And this year is not different at all. Like, um, I'm I'm going through it. So you like you have Wilson, Zach Wilson from BYU, Trey Nance from uh or what is it, Trey Nance? Trey Lance. Trey, Trey Lance. Lance. Yeah. Oh, I say that. Um, Lance, uh, from from North Dakota State, and then you have Mac Jones, uh obviously Fields and, and Lawrence. I don't I mean, JT Daniels is a fantastic quarterback, but I don't know if he's going to get, like, the kind of love he should, like, not just in mock drafts, but, like, from, from NFL front offices in a, in a class that seems, at least on paper, and I think right. Mac is going to have inflated uh, projections because, I, you know, of, of his season. I think I think JT Daniels is a better, better quarterback than Mac Jones. Bam fans, calm down. But, like, Like, big picture-wise, like in the NFL, I I think JT Daniels has more of, like, the the measurables for that. Um, He's been nothing short of spectacular since he he started at UGA. I know it's only been three games, but – and you've seen probably, you know, not ad nauseum, but you've seen it a lot now, like, the the comparisons. But here are the numbers for Georgia um, (laughs) before JT Daniels was a starter and then after. Points per game, 29 points per game before, 41.7 now. Passing yards per game, 209 before he started. Afterwards, 280. Uh, nine total touchdowns and seven interceptions from Georgia quarterbacks in their first six games before he started. JT Daniels has nine touchdowns and one interception in just his three starts. Um, the Georgia offense as well, because you, you talk about the South Carolina game where he didn't look great. Um, you know, the, the, the entire offense seems to be flourishing with him at the helm. Because they were averaging 380 yards per game before he became the starter. Now they're averaging 498, Connor. 498.
0: Fourth Austin Powers reference. What? Do you want it? Get it. Fourth Austin Powers reference. Um, I I don't think we have to bleep this. I don't think we have to bleep this. Uh, Character name, so mind Connor having a minor curse here. Uh, George's passing offense, fat bastard before he lost all the weight. George's passing offense with JT Daniels, fat bastard after he lost all the weight.
1: I I've seen that movie a thousand times. I can't remember
0: when he lost weight. The third one. Oh, Beyonce. the third one sucked. That's Ali's favorite.
1: I don't. That one is awful. I love gold.
0: Yeah, I don't like yeah, that. But I do like Beyonce a lot. As
1: you that know. is fair, I'm part very part of fair. Yes. Um Okay, so the, the last thing I'll say about that is um, like obviously the numbers across the board have been significantly better. And, and you know, third down, third and Daniels. Um, they're completing 67% of third-down conversions now. It was only 42%, which wasn't that low beforehand. Yards per play, it's up a full two yards per play since he took over. And what's really interesting to me is is the way he has, like, kind of like it's not been like the run game has been better because the, the pass game has been opened up um, and sets Bennett, I think to his credit, one thing he was able to do was when he was on. He was able to to pass the ball, um, spread the ball like to to a lot of their players. Um, Something I thought was interesting with since Daniels became the starter, George Pickens and Jermaine, uh, yeah, Jermaine Burton have they've caught thirty two of the forty three total receptions from Georgia receivers. So, wow. so like 74% of his completions to receivers have been just to those two guys. Um, so I, I wonder what that looks like in this game, especially uh, if a guy like Kiaris Jackson, who's way too talented to not be involved more um, if he gets involved as well.
0: Good, good test for JT Daniels as well because this is mm-hmm. insanity defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've you've been high on them throughout the year. They're they're legit, allowing 16 points per game. Also, I mean, they've got a more than capable quarterback in Desmond Ritter. I think they're yeah, they're top 15. I think in both scoring offense and scoring defense, Luke Fickle's bunch is undefeated for a reason. They absolutely are. This will be a great test and a great test for Georgia, without the likes of Monty Rice, Ben oh. Cleveland, Eric Stokes. Um, UGA is also apparently dealing with some of these post-Christmas COVID issues. I know Kirby Smart has been waiting to hear back on some of those results as well. Uh, The good news, Jordan Davis is said that he is going to be playing in this game, possibly even, and this is a surprise to me, and I I don't know how much he's going to play. I think if he plays at all, it's gravy for Georgia, but possibly going to be getting Richard LeCount back after he hasn't played since the Kentucky game. Of course, he had the motorcycle accident um just a shame that he wasn't able to play down the stretch but what what a cool thing that would be to be able to see him playing and that could be a huge huge lift for that georgia defense in this one i I still come back to this i I think Kirby's going to be motivated still by avoiding that embarrassment we saw that last year against baylor george pickens went off Mm -hmm. in that game They, they sort of let it all hang out and they rolled in that one and and i think that you know I think that Georgia is going to come out, you know, with all the things that you just brought up about J.T. Daniels, with that offensive game plan still in place, and they won't necessarily be a conservative, one-dimensional group. So, you know, there's also the whole like, hey, if UGA loses this game, we risk Cincinnati declaring itself a national champ, and we can't have that. (laughs) We 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 can't have that. So, I I think Georgia. I think Georgia wins this game. I think Zamir White steals the show. All eyes on J.T. Daniels. Last probably. Probably the last game of Zemir White's college career. That's not official yet. Would not be surprised to see him declare for the NFL draft. He is draft eligible. He uh, is a redshirt sophomore. Georgia Insiders have predicted that he will be declaring. Again, not official. I feel like he just got there. I know. Those injuries really kind of slowed down what we thought was going to be just an all-time college career. And he's been good this year, don't get me wrong. But you know James Cook has also been fantastic, I think, out of the backfield. So I, I think that he goes off uh he, he goes off and declares afterwards UGA wins by two scores. Oh, love it. Um yeah, I, I think man,
1: I I feel like this is the worst possible like matchup every single year for an SEC team because it's if you win, you're supposed to win. If you don't, you you know, like it's yep. it's, it's never ending and they, they don't stop talking about it, and they show the highlights forever. Um since he's D, like you you said, is really good. I know you don't care for some of their uh, their rankings. Um but Pro Football Focus actually has that defense ranked number one in the entire country um Oof. in terms of overall defensive grade, rush defensive grade, and uh and, and pass coverage grade. So I think it's gonna be a good game. I, I think you're gonna also see stuff from Cincy where Luke Fickles is not like a you know high-flying offensive you know mind and, and that kind of coach at all. But I think you will see trick plays. You will see them like pulling out all the stops like like it always seems to happen. But I think this game plays um out a lot more like the UCF uh, LSU game from from twenty oh, yeah. twenty nineteen uh, of what do you call it? twenty yeah, twenty eighteen into
0: twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I think I think that's what this game plays out to be. Maybe not as high scoring. Um but Georgia, you talk about uh, Kirby being motivated. Georgia's six and one against the spread in their last seven bowl games. They're also nine and three against the spread in their last twelve neutral site games. Um Kirby had comments had a comment the other day about how this is the most complete team uh, and i might i might be paraphrasing but i think he said that something about around they might be they're the most complete team they have faced this year because they face good offense they face good defenses but not a team that's been able to do it in all three phases of the game i think he's got his team motivated i think i think he will be focused and there's enough talent especially young talent that with these opt-outs that now gets a chance to to fill those roles I think Georgia wins. I am gonna take Cincy to cover, but I think um, I think Georgia ends up winning it. It's gonna be a really good game. This this one might be
0: maybe one of the best matchups I think um, in all bowl season. Agreed. This will that this will be my primary viewing on New Year's Day. Uh, the game that I'll be probably flipping back and forth with or maybe you know streaming on the computer or something like that. The Citrus Bowl. A game that I, I usually am at every year, and unfortunately because of COVID issues. Um, not going to be at, at the game this year. Um, but Northwestern and Auburn are f- are facing off in Orlando. The city beautiful. Northwestern is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This game at 1 o'clock Eastern on ABC. The over-under I have is pretty obvious. It's the amount of time that we're going to hear Reese Davis's oh set on God. the broadcast. I set the over-under at a very conservative two.
1: Um it's gonna be way over, and and also shout out to our friends at Breaking Tea. Um, and if you guys haven't got a shirt that we put out one of our game day tees, uh, or just a shirt in general from from Breaking Tea, go check them out immediately because they're the ones that came up with that. Like, like the, I know the, Joey, like the shirts, like all the shirts you saw, like them, like holding up. Those are oh, those, that's that was right, Breaking
0: Tea, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh wow. They they really pounced on that. That was smart. That has been the mantra for Northwestern all year. You hear it on every single Northwestern game without fail. I think Northwestern's legit defensively. Yeah, I, you Patty go. Fisher. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Patty Fisher, if you haven't seen him, the guy is everywhere. Like he's he's really, really good. This is the this is the type of defense that just kind of swarms you. And they they force a ton of turnovers, which I don't think is gr- a great recipe for bonix yeah, Yes, bad. I realize. Yeah, I, I realize like okay, it's still not exactly loaded with five with four and five star talent, all that. Um, Northwestern did just allow though three bills to a backup running back, um, so that's not great <laughs> probably. Yeah, because if Tank if Tank Bigby is is at a hundred percent, which it looked like he was down the stretch, um, I, I think he can take over in this game. But the question is. Does Northwestern then just load the box and say, you know what, we're going to make we're going to make Bo, Bo Nix try and beat us because it's a little bit different loading the box and trying to be and you, what you're able to do against a team like Auburn as opposed to a team like Ohio State where you still obviously have to respect the arm of Justin Fields. So um, Northwestern is nothing to write home about offensively, but Peyton Ramsey is kind of like grown-up Bo Nix. Yeah, uh, good lord, mobile but not super efficient. <sighs> And he he can make some plays that are, you're just like wow this kid's just such a gamer and then he makes some maddening decisions that you're just like dude what are, what are we doing here what, yeah. what in the world I are we doing I said so many bad words
1: watching that game with him uh, against Ohio State that's just like like it not just mistakes but things that you absolutely can't do yeah like I, I sometimes like watching games I will find myself being like absolutely like you know neurotic and, and over the top like when I'm f- like fully entrenched it's like a big game right. And, and I'm, I'm like, okay, just, you know, no turnovers. Don't fumble. Just, just abs- like, you just can't throw an interception here. Like, if you're, like, on the five-yard line, just have to at least come away with points. It seemed like every time I would say something like that when he was, like, <laughs> when Northwestern had the ball, the next play was some just absolutely terrible decision. So, yeah, this will be um, this will be fantastic to watch from a quarterback standpoint, at least from, an inter- like, it'll be really entertaining. I tell you what, I know this game is going to be played in 2021, technically, right, January 1st. The most 2020 thing maybe of the whole year is what I'm about to say. And I'm going to be pulling for Auburn in this game. Ooh. Um because and and I usually I you know, I'm not like one to do that. Uh, it, you know, during bowl season, even though I I have to bang the drum for the SEC and the conference as a whole, but um and I don't even mind Northwestern, but I just hate already that I know people like Mike Wilbon um, and some other people, you know, like in the national media and, and all that are going to make a bigger deal out of this than it should be if Northwestern somehow wins this game as an underdog in quotes, even though they're favored. Northwestern is, is a good defensive football team. You're right. Like they've, they've given up more than 22 points in a game only once this season. Um, they did lose to Michigan State, which is surprising. Uh, they have a freshman freshman safety, I believe is a safety, um, that led the country in interceptions with six. six also nine. doesn't bode well for, for Bo Nix. The biggest disappointment I have, maybe from all the bowls, is is an in, in opt outs is Anthony Schwartz being out for this game because yeah. they were, I would love nothing more than to watch Anthony Schwartz, who's the fastest player in all of college football, go up against a Big Ten defense. Um, I just, I, I, I just
0: think we all know how that would end. So, <laughs> last year though, saw it against Minnesota and it didn't exactly, you know, that's a Auburn, much better Auburn loss. Yeah, I mean, you could you could definitely make that case. It's a bummer that Auburn's going to be without three key players, Anthony right. Schwartz being one of them, Jamie and Sherwood, who loves talking trash more than I think any human yeah, in really. the SEC, and then and then Christian Tutt as well. So you wonder kind of if if the motivation will fully be there with the interim staff. I know Kevin Steele is going to be. Uh, running things there for Auburn. But the weird dynamics at play there where it's like, all right, what's the play calling going to look like in yeah. this game? I, I I don't know. I have a tough time seeing my way to Auburn scoring a ton of points in this game against a Northwestern defense that's played with a chip on its shoulder all year. And you could say they're not talented and, and, and all that stuff. But I think that Auburn covers, but Northwestern wins something like 17-14. to 14. And this game ends up just being like, A headache from an offensive standpoint, and it's not pretty in any way.
1: Yeah, and and one one thing I will say, um, just about the Anthony Schwartz and like the Minnesota game you brought up, Anthony Schwartz in twenty nineteen Auburn offense was is not like he was this year. We we've said for I feel like forever, Um, like him and Kadarius Tony, like they just got to get him more touches. He actually led the 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 team. He led Auburn in receptions this year with fifty four. So again, like I, I hate that we're gonna miss that, but Tank Bigsby. I think if if he's remotely healthy, he will go off, um, even though this is a very good Northwestern team. I'm going to take Auburn to win, and I'm going to take Auburn to win outright. And it's against my better judgment, um, but I I think Bo Nix makes some plays. I think Bo Nix throws less interceptions or has less fumbles than – what's his name again? I have my drawn-blank on this. Peyton Ramsey? Peyton Ramsey, Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and like you said, he is just private school Bo Nix. I mean, even with the name Peyton Ramsey, so I'm going to take Auburn to win outright.
0: If it makes you feel any better, Ooh. Peyton Ramsey's a grad. He's a grad transfer from Indiana, so there you go. Uh, fellow Indiana graduate as well. He, uh, um, real quick, the best bet from this game, by the way, it's really low.
1: It's 43 and a half for the uh, the total, goodness. but the under. Is eight and one in, in Northwestern's last nine games, and it's eight and two uh in, in Auburn's ten games this season. So there you go.
0: How much more likable would Northwestern be if Ravel wasn't associated with them? So, oh my god, so much more. So much more. And if, if and, like and Greeny. Yeah, Wilbon
1: especially. Greeny, I don't mind, but um Fitzgerald, when he said that thing about uh Twitter, and he's like, If you want to catch me on Twitter, you can send me an email at WWW, I don't care, or something like that. I was like, sir, you are all over the place. Like, even, I'm bad at technology, yeah. but
0: you, sir, are on another level. Northwestern's probably going to have an insane hype video for this, though. <laughs> I'm still convinced that that hype video pre-Big Ten Championship was the reason they got off to that start, because that was like, holy cow. This is this is the greatest thing Northwestern's yeah. ever come up with, and that includes Ravel. All right, the Rose Bowl. Well, why don't we talk about Again, this one last? We can talk about this last. Yeah. I was just going in chronological order yeah. here, but that that's... That's that's totally fine. We can we'll, we will circle back to that. Remind me that we still have to talk about the Rose Bowl at the end. We'll do that. Um, all right. Saturday, January second. A little bit of a sneaky underrated day yeah. for college football. I kind of like it, it's a little bit like Black Friday, and that I think Black Friday is a super super underrated college football day. Oh yeah. Uh, on the calendar every year. Gator Bowl. NC State in Kentucky is at noon Eastern time on ESPN. The over-under I have for this game, which, by the way, Kentucky's a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under I have is Kentucky quarterbacks played. I set the over-under at two. Uh, I'll say push. That's probably most likely. Liam Cohen will not be coaching in the bowl game, the offensive coordinator for Kentucky. But it is still, like, they've put in pieces of this new offense, and Mark Stoops has said they've been using the bull time to be able to kind of prepare and get ready for that. But neighbor Terry Wilson is getting the start for this game, last college game for him, yeah. at least as far as we know. Um, but I think we're still, because of that element and wanting to be able to get these new guys some more snaps, there's still a good chance that we end up seeing both Joey Gatewood and the highly touted Bo Allen in this game hopefully we're going to have some wrinkles of the new system just because i i I just want to see kentucky throw the football just throw the football a little bit look i get it it's not your thing chris rodriguez is a stud i hope that guy gets 20 carries in this game and i think he he could give nc state some problems but i just want to see kentucky throw the ball a little bit just give neighbor terry some opportunities to be able to stretch the field I, i think that kentucky for the sake of all of our eyes and what should be hopefully a good football day, can make us feel a whole lot better if this game at least has some semblance of balance.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not expecting that at all. But but yeah, yeah. I but also, I I've, and I maybe this is just like, I don't see a recency bias or prisoner of the moment because it happened over a year ago, but I feel like Kentucky, no matter how the season goes, is always good for putting up like a an awesome performance in the bowl game. Like last year against Virginia Tech in the Belk Bowl was like, Maybe the awesome. best game of the entire bowl season. It, it was it was awesome, and I think there's gonna be opportunities where they could they could absolutely um, you know take advantage of this NC State. I mean, NC State gave up 261 rushing yards to Georgia Tech. Uh, like I, I, they haven't also played in a month. I, I just wonder what that True. defense is gonna look like, and, and you know how rusty they're gonna be, especially on offense, because they have done a good job getting off to fast starts. They have you know, tell you what, first half bets um, have gone really well with NC State. I think Kentucky is able to run the football. I, I don't think they're going to throw it that much. Um, but this also could just be you talk about like wrinkles for the fans. I wonder if this is also like a like a committed
0: send off to Terry Wilson. Mm, that could be. That could very well be. Much like last year, felt like a. A committed send-off to our guy, Lynn Bowden, our son, Lynn Bowden, who was just so good (laughs) in this game last year. That that play was so fun. Cool to see the Belk Bowl go out like that. Of course, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl this year, um, but Lynn Bowden having that last touchdown in that bowl game with that name. I I want another game like that. I don't think we're going to get it, but I do want to see another game like that. I'm going to keep banging the drum this entire offseason for Chris Rodriguez. Because I just I, I love watching that guy averaging six point nine yards per carry this year. That's pretty nice. Led the SEC um, with uh, with uh, what do you call it backs with over I think it was hundred carries. Yeah, number four among Power Five backs. Yeah. with with hundred carries this year. The problem for Kentucky is that one dimensional offense. NC State won four in a row to end the regular season. Realized bowl games not great for momentum, all that stuff. Maybe I'm just looking at that NC State defense and how it totally stymied my guy Malik Willis. Maybe I'm just thinking too far into that because if they can do that to him, they can probably do that to anyone. Um, I'm going to say Kentucky wins, but NC State covers. I feel like I'm hedging on a lot of these. Wolfpack didn't have opt-outs, didn't have opt-outs, and I worry what Kentucky's depth can look like. I, I hate what what Kentucky's offense has looked like this year when they fall behind in games. It just seems like. Once that once they get behind, that's that's kind of all she wrote. And they're right. not going to be the type of team that comes back. So I'm going to say that that NC State wins and Kentucky still somehow finds a way to cover a very very well. Oh no, I take that back. Because Kentucky's favored, or yeah, Kentucky's favored in this game. So I guess no, I'm no, just no they're NC underdog. State. They're they're two and a half. Point oh, oh, okay. Well then, Kentucky Kentucky keeps it within two points. Hey. So let's go for a Chris Berman score. Let's no, go you're, for a you're right. They
1: score. are favored. My bad. <laughs>
0: Okay, flip flop, flip simp snap, simp snap. So Kentucky then will not win this game, and NC State's NC State will, will win it outright.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Um, God, we've really not picked a lot of SEC teams. I feel like, um, I, like, yeah, the defense has been pretty good for NC State. I mean, the defense for Kentucky has been has been good. Um, I I think I don't know. But you just wonder what which, or which Kentucky team is going to show up, and you know. If Terry Wilson throws the ball 20 times in a game, what does that look like as, as far as like you know offensive production and points put up on the board? I think I think you have to run the football. I think you absolutely have to run the football. And, and again, this team, at, even though they, they stymied Malik Willis, I mean, there's been times this season where they've been absolutely god-awful. You talk about especially with UNC and, and Miami where they gave up uh, an average of 600 yards in those games. I think Kentucky is able to run the football. I'm going to say they went out right. And I'm going to hate it. Right. I'm going to hate it every minute of it. And also, the percentage of bets on this, it's the exact opposite for Mississippi State. 61% of the bets are on Kentucky, but only 26% of the money. Ooh. That's not wow. good. That's not
0: very much. I hope neighbor Terry Wilson just like gets up 35-7 to seven in the third quarter yeah. and the two other quarterbacks get to come in and play. That would be a great send-off for our guy. The Outback Bowl, oh, man. Oh, man. I am more excited for this game than I think – any non-playoff game, maybe including even playoff games, I'll be honest. Ole Miss against Indiana. Indiana's an eight-and-a-half-point favorites. This game, I have the over-under at shots of Tom Allen, the Indiana coach, yelling on the sidelines. I set the over-under at a very high 20, um, thinking maybe at least five per quarter, given how animated that dude is all the time. I have, no, I have no idea.
1: I, I know Tom Allen's a great coach, but I've never really seen the uh, sideline stuff. So
0: I'll trust you and say over. A big sideline yeller Tom Allen is. I, I've taken great pride uh, in my, my alma mater this year. I I have, but it's not just necessarily because they, they've won some games. It, it's because of Tom Allen. Like yeah. dudes play for that head coach and that's what a bottom feeder program kind of needs. And that's why Indiana has sort of been this, a little bit of this darling, you know, this, this team that everybody can kind of get on board with and, um, but as you know, and I've said like pretty much on a weekly basis on this podcast, I've enjoyed watching Ole Miss more than any team yep. in 2020. And it's because of how much of a, of a drunken, um, good time they can be. Unfortunately, no Elijah Moore, no Kenny Eboa in this game. Lane said that they were basically having to recruit their own team for this game. Um, not great. <laughs> not great. If there's a depth issue for Ole Miss, I don't really like the margin for error. Um, we all know about the Ole miss defense, worst passing defense in America. Indiana has this dude, Ty Freifogel, who if you what? saw the updates, What's his name? yeah, that's Ty Freifogel. Um, it's a great, great Big Ten Midwest type of name. I actually don't know if he's from the Midwest. I think he's from Indy. Um I don't think when they you have saw much those of a national national footprint in the recruiting game. So that's Florida Tom, Tom actually. They did pretty well in Florida. Exactly, because Tom Allen does have his, his Tampa yeah. roots, Plant High School, where he was a head coach at. Um, if you saw those updates of Indiana against Ohio State, it was basically Ty Fryfuggle, like going off the entire time. like He was making another big catch against that Ohio State secondary, and it's like, wow, they can't put Indiana away. He's going to have a huge game. and I, it, I don't even think it matters that Michael Penix isn't playing in this game, and then it's Jack Tuttle, the backup quarterback. I, I think this is just going to be a really, really fun game with two very different teams stylistically, but... Gosh, I, I cannot contain my excitement for this game. I really can't. I, can't. Gonna be fun. I, I don't feel ashamed to admit that.
1: I wish Michael Penick's last name had an extra N in it because it, every time yeah. I see I it, know. I'm like, God, P E N I. And it, like, it's just, it's so much. It's just so much. The yeah. autocorrect. Yeah, the every autocorrect time. The autocorrect on that is, yeah, it's insane. It's not great. Um, but yeah, so I, I think this would be a, a, a very fun game. And, uh, you know, like you said, like I'm, there, I'm more excited for a few other games or at least one other game. Um, but outside of like the playoff and and maybe the New Year six bowls, I think yeah, like flat out, this will, this would be the one I'm looking forward to most. What I'm also disappointed in, which kind of sucks, is this will be the first time all season they're going to play without you know Elijah Moore and and Yaboa uh, at tight end, who have both been incredible this season. Matt Corral, like which Matt Corral is going to show up? Because if it's it's the Matt Corral in any game that's not facing Arkansas or LSU, it, he'll be great. Like I hope it's as sunny as can be, because if it's overcast or rainy, it's not going to be a good day for Matt Corral. Um, good point. 11 good point. of his 14 interceptions, which seems like a lot of interceptions, because it is, but 11 of those came in two games. Um, I, I think that you give Lane Kiffin this much time off, he's going to be able to scheme up a really good offensive game plan. I just don't know if it's going to be enough uh, to beat an Indiana team that's that's really good. And, and has been able to, you know, compete with teams like Ohio State. And, and like, I know they had, like, the very close uh, come-from-behind win, I think, against Penn State early in the season. But, I mean, they've been a really good football team. They've been a
0: really, really – should have played in the Big Ten Championship. Indiana's going to be all sorts of pissed off in this game. Yep. I mean, all sorts of pissed off. They got such a raw deal. And I don't say this – like, this is going to come off a little bit biased, obviously, but – it, it went, like we're talking about a team that got a last minute rule change to not play in the conference championship. So and stupid. I get it. Look Indiana Indiana lost to Ohio State. I, I fully understand it. I'm not saying that Indiana deserved to play in the Big Ten championship, but just the the optics of that of being like set to play in a Big Ten championship and Ohio State hasn't played enough games and then oh, the Big Ten's gonna change the rules to appease Ohio State. like it still pissed off Indiana. And then oh by the way, instead of being able to play in a conference championship and having a chance to earn a New Year's Six bowl bid you don't even get to do that you get your your big rivalry game canceled so then instead of a New Year's Six bowl because the selection committee slighted you so much you have to play a four-win Ole miss team in the Outback Bowl like this was this was going to go down as like one of the best Indiana football seasons of all time we're right. talking about a program that hasn't won a bowl game since 1991 Man, I was one years old. I was one year old. One. That was the last
1: time. Oh man, I I. I think my favorite article I ever wrote was "Make America 1991 Again." 1991 was such a great good year.
0: Bulls. So good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, give me Give me IU to win and cover. Despite my my Ole Miss love, you know Ole Miss fans who are listening to this, I have I have loved your team with all of my heart, and I have made it appointment viewing every single Saturday to watch this football team. But I think Indiana with that defense is able to give Matt Corral some problems without two of his top weapons. And I think a very angry, upset Indiana team tries to send a loud message to the college football world.
1: Yeah, so um, they've allowed eleven points or less in three of their last four games. I mean, it's just it's a really good team. Like as you said, it's just a really good football team. There's no, you know, you know, two ways about it. So I I I I feel like the the right pick is probably Indiana. Is this gonna be a terrible bowl season for the SEC or are we just making bad picks? Um I, I do think that you're gonna see like a very excited and and inspired like Ole Miss team in the first half. I just don't know if they have enough depth, especially with Eli Moore and and Yeboah out, if they have enough enough depth to stay in this for 60 minutes and, and, and win a football game. Because I, I just think it's gonna the entire game is gonna be put on Matt Corral's shoulders. And granted, he's good enough to win you a game like that. I just don't know if the supporting cast around him is is good enough as well.
0: Indiana's been really good all year confusing defenses yeah. and confusing them with coverages, and I can definitely see a few costly Matt Corral picks in this game, despite the fact that he could still throw for a ton of yards. Would not surprise me. I will say that oh. Olmus is gonna cover. Olmes covers eight and a half. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot closer that, than big, that. It's a pretty it's a pretty big number. Pretty big number for this game. Cannot wait for it. Yeah. Cannot wait. Orange Bowl. Texas A&M and UNC. Texas A&M, uh, as of last I checked, was a seven and a half point favorite. The hook is there on that. The over/under that I have for this is the word "playoff" is said on the broadcast. I set the over/under at six and a half. Uh, yeah, way over.
1: Because the Probably, playoff right? will have been played the night before. Um, if Notre Dame, like, like, if things go the way the general public thinks they're going to go. Which I'm not saying yeah. they will, but like if, if Notre Dame gets curb stomped and then, you know, Ohio State gets gets skull dragged or, or just beats by you know it's not a close game, A and M fans will be even more pissed off and deservingly so, and they'll they will talk about this like just
0: endlessly. Agreed. How did the Aggies come out? Is I think the thing that that I'm wondering about because you talk about that and wanting to send a message and, and all that stuff. But there's really, I don't think there's a ton of precedent for a team that was slighted of a playoff berth, right? Like there haven't been too, too many of these like, this team absolutely deserved to get in on Selection Sunday where we were still banging the drum for that team. I think maybe you could go 2016 Penn State, the 2 lost team who had the head-to-head against Ohio State and won the Big Ten Championship. They lost to USC in that thrilling Rose Bowl. Right. 2014 TCU who didn't get in instead of, you know, got slighted because of Ohio State, they killed Ole Miss in the bowl game. 2014 Baylor, that same year, lost to Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl. If you want to throw in like 2017 BCF or something like that, I, I, they beat no, Auburn. No, I think 2017
1: Ohio State's the best example to give here because it's a Power 5 team um, that I think it's the most similar resume um and then they got a matchup against UN's, or uh, USC in, in the Cotton Bowl and, and I, that was like the lock of the year that they were going to win by 7
0: True true that's that, yeah that's fair I guess I don't think of that Ohio State team as much because I was so so unbelievably against Ohio State getting into the playoff right. and I hated I could not stand like after they lost that blowout against Iowa, there were people that wrote, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, that wrote, well, Ohio State should still have a path to the playoff. I'm like, no, 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 no. They, that, that, that's that's absolutely gone. So I guess I just mentally discounted that. But, I mean, you're right. That is an example. Can AM replicate something like that? The good news for AM in this game, opt-outs, opt-outs, opt-outs for yeah. UNC. Michael Carter, Javante Williams, the most prolific running back duo in all of college football this year. Out for this game. Also, preseason All-American linebacker Chas and wide receiver Deami Brown out for this game. The bad news for Texas A&M. Sam Howell is really good. <laughs> I yeah. love Sam Howell. Sam Howell is a fun, fun guy to watch on a given Saturday just because he chucks it deep a ton. He made that year-two efficiency jump as well, where he's not making some of those big-time yeah. mistakes, and it helps when you have a running game, of course. But as we know with A&M, like that's kind of where they can be beat. That's kind of their weakness. Last time they saw someone who could really stretch the field, really stretch the field consistently was Bama. This is a great "how far has AM come" sort of game because of what UNC does well.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think I think you're right, and also with Howell, it's really difficult to improve upon the numbers he had as a true freshman. Like it's just and live up to the hype, yeah. as we've seen, you know, kind of with with how Kellen Mond's career has gone, um, going from season to season. But I, I'm going to say something. It's can kind of sound crazy or dumb or both. But I think that the running backs for UNC opting out actually hurts AM more than it helps them. Like, I mean, obviously those guys are extremely talented and you 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 know you want to have like your best playmakers on the field. But hear me out here because without those two options, I mean, AM's best athlete, the best thing they do, besides maybe running the football, um, is stopping the run. They've been fantastic against it all season long with that you know that front seven that front four especially. So I would have loved to see UNC kind of just you know beat their heads against the wall and try to like continue to run the ball against a very very good A and M defense. Um, Now that they don't have that, I think you're going to see them throw a lot more, which is where they've been a little bit more susceptible to to big plays and and stuff like that on the back end. Um, uh, UNC's offense uh, from our good friend and and catfish guy the. um, that I'm still, I guess, catfishing Phil Longo. He, like, I I feel bad, but, like, if you guys don't know the story, Phil Longo has been in our DMs and SCS. Phil, if you're listening, I, like, it's been incredible interacting with you, but I don't know how to tell you I'm not the person you think I am because he, I, he thinks that whoever runs the SCS account or owns it or whatever is a former player of his. So I thought he was just at first sending us, like, like graphics and stats but he was like man it's not like when we used to play with us huh and i'm like okay what i don't know what's uh, going on yeah yeah coach yeah, absolutely um but this offense has been incredible he's been one of the best consistent play callers over the past five years i think in, in all of college football um averaging just a, a ton of yards a ton of yards uh this season and, i mean talk about putting up over 700 yards in two of their last four games um including one against miami they almost put up 800 yards against them Here's the thing, though. Like, I'm looking through this, this North Carolina offensive and their game log right now, and over 600 yards against Virginia Tech, 500, 500, 500, like four straight games, I'm sorry, six straight games of 500 uh, yards or more on offense. Um, I think they had uh, seven total throughout the entire season. There's one game that stands out where they did not have a good game, and they were actually held to less than 300 yards, and it's against Notre Dame. And I think that if there's a team in this country that is a mirror image of Notre Dame and I don't mean from an like a underwhelming standpoint in the playoff but I mean just the way they're built and the way they play mm-hmm. football and their style of play it's sex a and and you know yep. to speak to that point Vegas even had the the um hypothetical line for a and Notre Dame was was a pickem it was even I just think that those two teams are built very very similarly um from the quarterback play from the you know the way they run the football the way they stop the run like I said and they're built on defense I think a m wins this game and you you just said about how you're going to see a pissed off Indiana team, which I think is like the first time anyone's ever said that at least on this podcast. Yes, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you're going to see a really pissed off Texas A&M team and and Kellen Mon in like his last game, possibly I'm assuming uh, he's not going to come back. Mm. And you never know. I mean, it, I, I would said, love him to come he back said. down. He's
0: not ruling it out. He's talked about it. He said he's talked about it. And there's, you know, there have been discussions about possibly coming back. And Kellen Mond could be basically a 29-year-old um, senior next year. So never, never say that. Would never. love it. Would love it. Um, but but there are there are yards to get
1: and there are points to be scored on this UNC defense especially. And I just think that Jimbo Fisher, when he was so – he finally came out of his shell – and stop giving us the coach speak at the end of yeah. the season, and it was awesome to see that kind of passion and 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 very similar to Tom Allen, like his guys walking the field, you know, kind of banging the drum for their coach and and how they want to play for him. I just think that this is the exact opposite of how last season ended. This is this is year three of Jimbo, It he finally he met all the expectations. I know he didn't make the playoff, but number five in the country, um, bringing in incredible recruits, and then and then also. You know, eight and one with just like on the doorstep, on the doorstep where you want to be, I think he absolutely puts it on UNC um on on Saturday. Like I mean, just absolutely like I think they yep. win by, by fourteen or more.
0: Wow. Yeah. I when I'm glad you brought up the similarities between AM and Notre Dame because I was doing some sort of like mid season column about AM's playoff chances and I was trying to look for the differences between AM and Notre Dame. And I had this little epiphany where I was like, Oh, Let's make another awesome powers reference, why don't we? Where I'm just like, oh, we're not so different, you and I. That's how A and M and Notre Dame are built. That's, that's You're a exactly quote right. A lot of things, though. Yeah, I think it's awesome powers. Two. <laughs> it's awesome powers one. Doctor Evil that says Schindler's that's awesome powers. Connor, what are you talking about? Oh man, goodness. All right, well, we'll bleep that out. um I think that Notre Dame, what they were able to do against UNC, A&M can follow a very similar game mm-hmm. plan by keeping them at an arm's length. What A&M has done so well this year, the points that you just brought up, but you know, it's it's the running game, it's being able to to have the time of possession, it's being able to have these short passes, it's being successful on third down with a mobile quarterback, it's doing the little things that. We don't necessarily appreciate in 2020 the same way that we would have 10 years ago. But yeah. I think that AM in this game, if they come out with that mindset, and this is a team that all signs point to them having that right mindset, and they're not necessarily in that, oh, we didn't make the playoffs, so our season's over, and opt-outs, opt-outs, opt-outs. I, I think that AM should be able to win in this game. Jimbo Fisher, seven and two in bowl games, two and oh yeah. at, at, at A&M, of course. <laughs> Um, and I think that we see a lot of the same things we've seen all year with Weidermeyer and Spiller and Anaya Smith and those guys. UNC is just a very average team defensively. And now yeah. without their best their best defensive player as well. Yeah, I think AM, I agree hundred percent. AM is gonna be a very pissed-off team in this game. They come out rolling. They want to make their the selection committee say, see what you missed out on. And I could totally see that storyline happening after the Notre Dame the Notre Dame likely loss. So I'm gonna take AM to cover um, more than 14 points is 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 a lot for how good this UNC offense is. That's but true. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, but I do think that a And M covers and wins by two scores in this game. Wait, so you just said the same thing, right? Um, so you, I guess yeah. Okay. Well, they can win by eight. They can win by eight. 14 is a lot, but I think they'll win by two scores for sure. Um, yeah, and, like 10. I guess. Okay, they could win by 10.
1: So it, uh, here's a here's a thought I just had. Um, and and tell me if I'm way off base or if I, if this is I'm a genius or somewhere in between a and M this season, you you brought up the point about how they are, we would have appreciated this team so much more 10 years ago with the way they're built and, and how they performed. And, Cause they really own that identity. Like, and I love that from yeah. Jimbo. He's like, he's not going to change and put up style points just to like appease people that don't understand his team and philosophy. So, but a and M this season is everything that I thought, or we thought Georgia would be this season.
0: Mm, That's interesting. Because the, you're, you're built around the offensive line. Now, I, I, think, I think Georgia, from, from a style standpoint, may be a little bit different in, in, in the regard of, like, you know, Georgia this but year, what we, we, we thought. thought with Tom Munkin. Yeah, I mean, with Tom Munkin, we thought we were, that they were going to be able to stretch the field. But in terms of having an offensive identity that's reliable week in, week out, you know what you're getting from the quarterback position, and you feel good about having multiple backs take over... And I, playing I think great that defense. Georgia, and, yeah, and playing great defense as well, being able to stop the run, which they've done so well. Okay, I can see those I can see those similarities. Like, A&M is a mix of Notre Dame currently and what Georgia was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, I hope that's a new show on ABC, like
0: Notre Dame-ish. That would be yeah, great. Notre yeah, Notre Dame-ish, Irish-ish. Or <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Speaking of the Irish, the Rose Bowl... Alabama is a 19 and a half point favorite against Notre Dame, the biggest playoff favorite so far. The over/under that I have is references to the 2012 title oh, game. God. I I went conservative here and said just two. Oh, it'll be way more. Actually,
1: like it'll, it'll at least be two. And, and it'll be immediately followed because Notre Dame fans are tired of hearing about that. And this team is not that yeah. team at all. Um, I not. think they're a lot better, and their resume should speak for that. Um, but, that, you know, because it's it's the low-hanging fruit, people are going to make that that um, reference a lot. I, I think it'll be immediately followed, though, with, you know, this team is is different. It, it, same as the Oklahoma defense thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. that the two is also, by the way, as many uh, Notre Dame wins against top five teams this century that, that the program has. Two and 19 against top five teams. One of which being that game against Clemson, in which they didn't have Trevor Lawrence earlier in the year. They're going to make the 2012 references because it's the same head coaches. If nothing else, that's kind of why uh, yeah. that that'll that'll come up, which is rare in college football in this day and age. It's extremely rare to see that at big-time programs. I agree with you. Notre Dame is built differently than they were in 2012. Uh, this, this Notre Dame team didn't get by on miracles like that team did. Um, I mean, they won all their road games by at least 14 points. Ian Book is much, much better than Everett Golson ever was. This wasn't even a top 80 offense that year in 2012. They didn't have a top 80 offense. Really? Because he, like, he was a freshman. And he was projected to
1: like, I remember the way too early hype training that he was going to be a, like a, a first round top 10
0: pick. Ish, that's not proved to be the case. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame's offense much better this year. though. Number 21 in the country, still not a great downfield passing attack. That's that's their, their weakness. And that's, as we know from watching what happened last week, what happened against Ole Miss, if there is a place that you can get this Alabama defense, it's probably that, and it's not necessarily what Notre Dame likes to do. I feel like the attitude for this game would have been totally different if we had a close ACC championship. Like, yeah. If we had seen Notre Dame just go 60 minutes with a, a Clemson team that actually had Trevor Lawrence, we would be like, all right, well, hey, Notre Dame can actually compete. But instead, that game served as a reminder and a bit of a precursor of like, oh, yeah, Notre Dame doesn't recruit at that level, and they just don't quite have that talent to be able to run 60 minutes with those guys. And when you can't load the box to, to contain Travis Etienne, and you actually have to prepare for a balanced offense, yeah, he's a like fumbled Bama ball, has. Like throwing it directly to you like a hot potato. Yeah. It's just, it's different. So I think that's, that's something to, to remember and why that spread is so lopsided. Yeah. So
1: I just think that um, this matchup, like, I mean, we we've talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. it. Like it's everywhere. I think the only the only time I've seen anyone not like talk about this game and it not be immediately going into like how it's going to be a lopsided just bloodbath in Bama's favor was last night on SportsCenter. They said uh, Notre Dame is five and two all time against Alabama, and I was like, wait, what? Like <laughs> when for these? games? Sure, um, all right. So. That, that'll actually that should be an interesting over under because I wonder how many times that gets brought up. But, um, you know, a guy like Jay Woody, this was like his favorite rivalry. Um, you know, like non, non, uh, or it might have been the least favorite because Bam always lost. I, I think this game is a lot closer than people think. I, I think we've, we've talked about it nonstop about how great Bam's offense is, and it is. It's all of those things um, that we've discussed. Like they, they, you know, they have three of the top five Heisman vote getters um, and, and finalists. It, it's just, it's been ridiculous all season long and putting up numbers that we've really never seen before uh, from like from all those different positions all on the same team. I, I just think that when you have everyone in the country talking about how it's going to be a blowout and everyone just assuming Bama is going to skate through and and just get to the, the national championship or win the national championship. I I've said I don't know if I've said it on here. I've said it to Ali a lot this year. I, I just feel like if you can somehow bracket Devonte Smith and take take him away. And just be above average against the run, you have a chance to beat Bama. I, I like. I could be way off base on that, but I just don't see Mechie taking over a game. Now that being said, no one's been able to stop Devontae Smith. I don't know how he had 15 catches last week um, in the SEC championship game, but I just think this Notre Dame game or this Notre Dame team—they they do things well enough that it will hurt Bama. Throughout this game. Like like they will be able to run the football against that front four. Like that Bama's Bama's rush D is as good as the defense has been outside of the Florida game, they're not that great against the run. Like they, they give up. You saw the Georgia game, they were giving up five yards of carry before they just abandoned the run. Notre Dame's game plan has to be running the football, holding on to the football, keeping Bama's offense off the field as much as possible. And I think with a senior quarterback like Ian Book, who has made just been an incredible, I'm not gonna say game manager, but decision maker. Also, very, very sneaky athletic. We love Ooh, to say is. it. I mean, he—he is—he's honestly, I think, like the most underrated athlete at his, at his position in the entire country. I've been saying that like all year. He's just so, so, so much more athletic than people give him credit for. Him being able to extend plays, making the right decisions. I don't. I don't think you see him throwing a lot of interceptions uh, or turning the ball over. Notre Dame will try to keep Bama off the field, and I think they will control the clock for for most of this game and be able to run the football at Bama and then take big uh, shots every now and then with their tight ends and and try to find mismatches like like, you know, Ole Miss and Florida did because people think that's the blueprint. So I think Bama wins, but I think it's a lot closer than than people think. I think they win by like seven to ten.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay, Um, I come back to this. Any time I think is Bama about to have a 2018 flashback to the Clemson game, where you know there was there was murmurs, of course, about the coaching staff—are they fully bought in? No, they were out the team? door. Yeah, so 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 stuff like that. And if 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 you're talking about what you need to be able to do in order to to win on that stage and the things you need to have working in your favor, well, look at this year's Bama team. Steve Sarkeesian just won the Broyles Award, as he deserved to and should have gotten more consideration for it last year. You find out that he's staying at Bama and that he's not taking the Auburn job. He's not taking any of these jobs as far as we know. But I think this coaching staff has bought in. I think Pete Golding knows that he's an embarrassing loss away from getting fired, um, which I think if you're going to set a fire under someone, that would probably be a good way to do it. Clark Lee has talent in that Notre Dame defense. Don't get me wrong. Their front seven is good. They're legit. They're really disciplined. But 60 minutes of containment against this Alabama offense just feels so difficult. I, it just feels yeah. impossible. And I, the only scenario that I could see happening that that bama is all of a sudden like holding on for dear life is a freak injury in this game it's Devontae or mac jones going down and and i'm i'm not saying that's going to happen that is the only scenario in which i think bama is unprepared and they're finding themselves on their heels and they're scrambling and they're trying to figure out wow what do we what do we look like when you take away this piece or that piece so i think ultimately bama is going to win this game because i don't necessarily think that freak thing i'm not going to predict a freak injury to happen you know, Saban's never beaten 12 Power Five teams in a season before, but that could and should change against Notre Dame, and what I think should be a, a lopsided Bama victory. I think just what what Bama is able to, what Bama is able to do well from an offensive standpoint, it's been well documented. And I think Notre Dame not being able to consistently stretch the field in the way that you would need to to beat this Alabama team, I think Bama wins something like 45 to 21.
1: Okay, I, I just, um, you, you brought up the the stuff about Notre Dame's front seven. And and also, like, you know, the injuries. Like, a very, very important part of this game that I don't think people are talking about probably enough um, because it's not, like, a, a sexy position and it's not, like, one of, like, the the, the main, um, you know, go-to players, like, especially at the skill positions. Landon Dickerson being out for this game as, like, the anchor and, like, the emotional yep. leader of that team um, this is your first time playing without him, and and he has, like – I mean, like, I've been watching Bayon football for most of my life. I, I've seen, like, people ha- get go through, like, terrible injuries. I don't know if I've ever seen the entire team come onto the field to, like, like you know, show love for somebody that, that, that you know is, do- is done for the season. Like, and that's how much he meant – it was awesome to see. It, was, it really was awesome to see. I just – you know, I'm sure they have a talented backup, and, and, and people say they'll replace him with a five-star or whatever – I don't think that his absence is is going to be is being talked about enough, and I think it's going to be a real, um, you know, uh, I think to be a real factor in the game, you know, at least for in in some aspects. Because I tell you what, Brian Kelly is, is as bad as he's been in these big game moments. Um, and by the way, Saban's only four and seven against the spread in in the postseason games that he's he's been in. Um, hmm. But Brian Kelly is also one of the most winning coaches in in, in all of college football. I think he's the most I think he's the winningest coach, in, like actively right now, in in college football, or is it Mack Brown?
0: Oh, because he has like two hundred
1: and sixty if- career wins, or something crazy. It's, it's it's ridiculous. And so, you know, he's a good coach. Um, and I know he's had his shortcomings in those big games, like I said. But I think that they will be able to keep this game close, and they will figure out something um, to because they're not going to stop Bama's offense, but they can keep the ball away from them. I think long enough with with the way they run their offense to keep it close.
0: Isn't it crazy that you bring up Brian Kelly? I mean, this is a a program that over the last four years, over the last four years, is actually better than Oklahoma, LSU, Penn State. It's technically better than Georgia. I realize, Georgia fans, that Georgia has the head-to-head and they won those two games. But 43-7 and over the last four years, the majority of those losses came against Georgia and Clemson. I mean, the majority,
1: the majority of those – that's a that's a hell of a sentence right there. The majority of those of the seven losses. losses, yeah, I know. Four of those seven losses. It's just yeah. funny
0: how it shook out like that. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, and I think we we tend to we tend to dismiss Notre Dame because like if you're not on the level of Bama or Clemson, we're not going to take you seriously in this day and age, or at least from a national perspective. And there will be a lot of people who kind of piggyback on Notre Dame, you know, if they do get blown out, and they'll say, "Oh, see, Notre Dame was overrated the entire year." Like. Right. Well, I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I just think they when they when they see that team that is more well coached and has more talent and they've got more time to prepare than usual, yeah, I'm going to take the team that's got those things every single time despite the fact that I actually think Notre Dame is is a much tougher place to win than people realize. Like yeah. Notre Dame is about to have its fourth consecutive top 12 final ranking. Do you know the last time that that happened. Four consecutive top 12 seasons at Notre Dame. The prestigious 1978. Notre 1978. 1970. What? 1970. It's been 50 years since that's happened. It is so, it's more difficult to sustain success at Notre Dame. And I realize this isn't necessarily like ultimately tied to this game as much, but I just think that that's something to remember with this program, like how good of a job Brian Kelly has done at sustain, sustaining yeah. success, despite the fact that people are, of course, going to bring up the numbers against top five
1: teams. I, over under real quick on on how many total um, just red face, spit yelling, uh, tirades we oh, see yeah. from these two coaches combined.
0: Saban doesn't get the same flush of red as Brian Kelly, which no. is a, a very distinct, like Irish red. I mean, God. Brian Kelly looks like one of my uncles every single time he's on the sideline. It's it's unbelievable. Um, I, I the over under should probably be set at as so, carry the one. Okay, probably like what twenty four? <laughs> at least twenty four. Yeah, probably so. Probably yeah. so. It'll, it'll be a lot, but. I am looking forward to to that, looking forward to all of the SEC Bowl games. We have have fourth and wrong, Bagman edition. we got some good questions in here, some really, really good questions from our Facebook group. Thank you to Jay Woody for posting posting this and the responses that we got. Some of these I'm really interested to get into. Um, First one, this is from Josh Deal. Josh asks, what do you see George Pickens' top end is? Julio Jones slash A.J. Green type wideout, high draft, maybe four or five years in the NFL. My worry about him is between the years long-term, but the physical tools yeah. look as good as any I've ever seen. What do you think George Pickens' upside is, uh, maybe, maybe more so at the next level than it is at Georgia?
1: I think George Pickens has the ability to be A.J. Green. Um, I don't think he's Julio. Julio, the thing that se- se- separates him is his work ethic. Um, yeah, absolutely. I could see him being like an Antonio Brown type situation, but I don't think he's as good as Antonio Brown um, and not as dedicated to his craft. Um, I, I think George Pickens is a really, really good player. Like, he's a really good player. Just from what I've seen so far, and it's a small sample, so that's only been two years, and he's young, man. Like, I like, think, you know, like, I'm dumb now. I'm 34. Like, he, he's he's 20, so, like, again, yeah, I know he's going to make mistakes, but I... I kind of view him as a Doriel Green Beckham type guy, where he's gonna uh, yeah. have a good college career because he's a, you know, he's he's more physically gifted and talented than than anyone he's going up against for the most part. I mean, like he's he's one of those guys that like I used to say like in baseball, like you could roll out of bed and hit. You know what I mean? Like like he, he can get up and go out, out play, outperform, like you know, like absolutely dominate. 95% of, of, of his opponents and, and whoever's across from him because of how talented he is. I, I just don't know if he is going to consistently do that for long enough where he's going to be in the same breath as
0: his as other receivers. I agree. And I think it's, it's the, the inability to consistently get separation. I think that's, that's what I have problems with. We, we know George Pickens can go up and make a play. That is never in question. And we know that he can bully some college defensive backs without a doubt. But I think at the next level, to be able to consistently rely on that is, is just more difficult. And there's a reason why rookie receivers often have such a difficult time adjusting in the NFL. And it's because, hey, how are you able to get yourself open? What are you doing to be able to to, to find the nuance the nuances of, of route running and those things? I, I do sort of worry about that with George Pickens because the consistency is not there. Like the dude just had his second career hundred yard game at the college level, despite all of that talent. So yeah, I mean I'm I, I'm not putting him in the same conversation as as a Julio and right. an AJ Green you know, the physical tools are certainly there, but from a route running standpoint, I, I don't see it yet. A huge off season awaits for him. If he's able to, to figure that part out of his game. Mm-hmm. And if he comes back with a vengeance, I mean, look out, but I would need to see that before. I think that he can be a consistent, like, you know, outside starting receiver in the NFL.
1: And i tell you what, I would love to see numbers on this. Um, one this off season. I think he'll probably work harder than, than he has at any other point because it's, it's his draft eligible year. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot more like on the line for him, but I would love to see a number uh, or, you know, the, the stats on his receptions um, and, you know, to targets like between the 20s or even 30s and then in the red zone, because I feel like he's a guy that like I don't see him being like a crisp route runner or being involved like on a bunch of screens or anything like that. And then having like, you know, just like explosive plays based off of his own athleticism. It's usually on the sidelines on a, on a go route yeah. or a, a fade. Um, and just going up and making a, a play. I mean, like 50, 50 ball for him is, is literally like, you know, like 90, 10 when he wants to be, I also think he's a guy that is, I'm trying to think of a comparison of who this would be like, where he kind of disappears. If he's not involved he kind of like yeah. mopes and stuff like that but when he's when he's involved i mean he's in, like like that you have to feed him you have to feed him and and like you know not only the ball but kind of his ego um and he gets better and better and that's something JT Daniels ha- actually has done so he'll
0: still put up really good numbers i just
1: the consistency is is the only thing it's a good question
0: i'm sure it's a question that georgia fans will be asking a lot um another good question here this is from tucker medlin he asks, with the LSU, Florida, and possibly Bama, D.C. jobs opening up, what are the chances Zach Arnett, the Mississippi State defensive coordinator, is stolen from Mississippi State? He just signed an extension with MSU, but if the big boys start calling, it's hard to say no. What do you think about that?
1: That's a really good point. I mean, and those are three schools that will have already shown they will shell out a lot of money. Yep. Lot, I mean, like Florida, and LSU, like, were those the first two schools to put out over $2 million for a, def- a defensive coordinator?
0: I think Clemson was part of that conversation oh, yeah, with yeah. Brent Venables as well. But, yes, they were more than willing to to, to pony up for, yeah. for a defensive coordinator.
1: I, I um, will say I think that, like, if you take that step, you obviously make more money. It's more high profile. But the fact that it's more high profile, you just have so much more room to fail. Like, like you're just – counted on a lot more and you're also the scapegoat a lot more as we've seen with with Grantham because let's not forget like Florida fans and a lot of us were, were plotting that that raise and extension like a year ago because of the numbers he had put up and like and defense yeah. that, that took the field so um, I I don't know if he stays I, I feel like it would be hard and no offense to Mississippi State fans I feel like it would be hard um, to stay in Starkville especially in a season like this where he had an incredible year and still went so overlooked. So if, you know, if he wants more notoriety or, or the ability to take the next step, if he ever wants to be a head coach or whatever,
0: then yeah, I could see him. I could see him going. I was asked uh on on radio uh, who you should be going after for defensive coordinator. It wasn't Derek Mason that I first threw out there, which that's, you know, been the rumor that they've been in talks with him. I said they should go out and get Zach Arnett because yeah. what this guy has done in one year, there's, there's a reason that, that Mike Leach went and hired him from Syracuse after he had been at Syracuse for like a week. Dino Babers had hired him. And what we saw with his 335 in the first year, it sort of is like the young and up-and-coming defensive mind type of strategy, right? Like this is a guy who spent a long time working under Rocky Long over at San Diego State. And this is a guy who is going to be respected in this modern era of passing in college football and what it can do against the pass. So I realized that. JT Daniels threw for a whole lot of yards against this Mississippi State defense. But I still think that he is going to be coveted. And I think those opportunities are absolutely going to be there. The good thing, though, for Mississippi State is that if you're trying to figure out, like, all right what's what's the kind of thing that's working in our favor Mike leach is giving him full control of that defense like Mike leach is not known for having any sort of handprint on the defense or anything like that and if you're talking about like what what are programs looking for Mississippi State I think will absolutely pony up to try and keep somebody like that they won't make it easy and especially if it's an in, interconference thing where they're trying to steal him, Mississippi State's going to fight like fight like hell to be able to try and keep that guy. But I fully – I agree with you. I think the big boys will absolutely come calling, um, and if not this year, then maybe next year. I mean, yeah, also real quick, what an asset for Mike Leach
1: because it's somebody that's like – Huge. I mean, like he doesn't want to be involved in any of the defensive, like, you know, defensive strategies and, and talk really. So it's like that's just one less headache from
0: a, a head coaching job. Yeah, does uh, Leach does a little bit of like the Spurrier thing, like Spurrier just like turns away. Yeah, when the defense is, I feel like Spurrier goes and and sits down on the bench. (laughs) You're just like, oh, okay, he's not he's not really into that. Um, Good question though, really good question. I like this one as well. This is something that um, is a fascinating big picture question as it relates to Florida. Adam Basford wants to know: Is Dan Mullen relieved slash excited? That he will be coaching a quarterback with true dual threat capabilities next year. That, of course, referring to the very likely scenario in which Emory Jones is Florida's starting quarterback in 2021. What do you think about that?
1: I mean, yes, to an extent. Um, it like I don't think the like, predominant attitude of the entire fan base of Florida is that they're excited for Emory Jones, um, like in and Kyle Trask leaving. But Kyle Trask, out of all the quarterbacks that he's really had is, like, the least like the least likely to fit his scheme. I mean, if yep. Watching Kyle Trask run is like watching that guy from Happy Gilmore run. With like, I believe that jacket belongs to Mr. Gilmore. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it is just barreling is the best way to put it. But I just – I think that when you talk about, like, already, like, look, will the offense do this or will it do that, what people don't really understand, I think, about, like, it's not just losing Kyle Trask and replacing him with a really good quarterback – but he still has to have guys to, to throw to. And I think that him running the football, having a dual-threat quarterback, that's great. Um, but is there going to be a run game at all? Like, Are they going to be able to get that going outside of him? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, losing Grimes, Pitts, and Kadarius Tony is going to be very difficult to, to replace. I mean, just very difficult to replace. So I don't know what kind of expectations you could really even have because they're going to have – talent I guess but not like that like, that's like generational talent leaving that offense
0: I think Dan Mullins did a great job at yeah. adapting you know we were wondering when he started there what's it going to look like with Felipe Franks running Dan Mullins system Felipe Franks ain't Nick Fitzgerald he's not Dak right. Prescott like what, what's this going to look like Dan Mullen, to his credit, has been able to maximize the talent of his roster yep. around, of that offense. And yeah, the running game hasn't been what we thought it could potentially be the last two years, especially with LaMichael P. Ryan. Lamical. Um, There's a throwback reference. There it is. I think that this Florida offense moving forward with Emory Jones, I don't necessarily think Dan Mullen's relieved. I right. think, yeah, it might be a little bit more of the prototypical Dan Mullen that we've come to expect from him. But I think what this, this these past three years have really shown, especially with Trask and these outside weapons, is that this is a dude who can scheme no matter what personnel he has. He, yeah, he really, really can, and I think he will scheme with Emory Jones. I, I think that there's there's plenty to be excited for for Florida fans. I know I don't I don't have to convince any Florida fans to be excited about Emory Jones. Lord knows that, but I don't. I think we can get away now from calling Dan Mullen a like saying that this is a prototypical Dan Mullen fit. I don't think there is. I think it's just a quarterback who can understand, hey, I need to be able to I need to be able to throw in and get guys in space. I need to be able to understand these anticipation routes, which is what Kyle Trask was better at than maybe maybe hey, any Dan Mullen quarterback that we've seen so far with the anticipation routes. And yeah, I mean if the run game can be part of it, we 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 saw his his <laughs> He, he would always want to put in Emory Jones in these situations to get the running game going. He wanted to make that more part of the offense. And whether he's doing that to try and appease Emory Jones to prevent a guy who is in year three yeah. from entering the transfer portal, maybe that's part of it. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're kind of done with the prototypical Dan Mullen quarterback, per se. And I think that Emory Jones, if he can make plays and you know lead a, a prolific offense— That'll make Dan Mullen more relieved and excited about anything else.
1: I I will say too, like the the one thing you have to be excited. One thing he will definitely be excited about is, I mean, you're losing Kyle Trask, who's put up the best season in Florida history, which is really saying something with the quarterbacks they've had there. Not maybe not 2007 Tebow, but like it's, it's just an incredible season, right? But you have to be excited that you now have the full playbook back open. And, and that's not a slight at Kyle Trask, sure. but like, no, you know, sure he, that, that's he's Mullen has done an incredible job in, in his first two years, or I'm sorry, first three years with the quarterbacks he had, because you're, they don't fit his, his like offensive ideology at all. Like you're right. And, or the scheme, but like, so he at least has to be excited that like now, you know what, like this chapter, this chapter, whatever, in that, you know, Coach o, two and a half inch notebook, um, you get to open up the entire playbook again. And, and I think that'll be, um, something that he'll. You
0: know, obviously do a good job with. Just a couple of Florida fans will be talking about Emory Jones this offseason. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. Let's end one more question here from Kobe Black. A question that has become, oh, uh, in, the, in the last two weeks, I, I think this is... So overblown. <sighs> okay, so, better NFL career. Tua, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones... I I
1: hate this question so much, and somebody posted it in the in the Facebook group. And like Bama fans, you want to talk about being like peak obnoxious Bama fans? I like it, the the whole QBU thing, and like posting pictures of Mac, Tua, and Jalen, especially when one of those guys transferred out. Um, as you know, like uh, all being on the same team. I think the picture I saw was uh, <laughs> them warming up in the 2018 national championship. They haven't lost that game by four touchdowns. Like thirty minutes after that picture <laughs> was taken, so as as far as like who has the best NFL career, I I don't know. I, it's fun to watch like you know, especially Jalen, what he's been able to do in the first couple like three starts. But the NFL, like being a a, a successful NFL quarterback, is so dependent on so many other things. It, it's yeah, just so many other things. Uh, it's just I mean, I just realized that I said Brian Isaacs earlier was Brian Oliver. So sorry, Brian Oliver. Anyway. But like, yeah, it's just dependent on so many other things. Like, are you going to have an offensive line? Are you going to, like, is there going to be coaching turnover? Like, are you going to have, like, playmakers? Like, I feel like a lot of these younger guys, like with Tua, they're saying, like, well, they need to go get him receivers or he needs this to happen. Or, like, they need to do this. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think Mac is the most successful. I, I'll say Tua because he's the most physically talented. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, that just, there's so much that goes into that.
0: I agree. And, and I think that it won't even like we could be asking that question ten years from now and not even have a, a real legit answer because that's the way the NFL works Because 'cause they'll all be busted. No, no, I don't <laughs> think that. I don't think that I, I get a little bit excited whenever I see a, a mock draft with the Bears taking Mac Jones. I'll be honest, I get a little bit excited because I'm intrigued. I'm definitely definitely mm-hmm. intrigued by it, but that's uh, all one that had the Falcons taking him at five
1: and I lost my I, I like I could not want that less. Should, that would be uh,
0: that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. I'll, I'll take two of though. I'll, I'll take two of just because I'm still blown away with what he can do with the deep mm. ball, and I, I think that once he is able to to be in a system that isn't so limited because they're not letting him really attack downfield as much, and they don't really have the. I mean, n- neither Philly nor Miami. This is NFL talk here. They, neither of them really have legit receivers right now, and both will probably yeah, Philly, go after. Whiff. Yeah, I mean, now if like Miami is able to get like a Jalen Waddle, or if they're able to, to go after Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, like get one of those three guys, yeah, that like sort of changes how you would feel about about Tua. But I, I still think that the talent with Tua is just—it's so remarkable. Yeah. I'm amazed that I see so many people that are already dismissing him and saying, "Oh, Justin Herbert was obviously the better pick." It's like Herbert's let's, been better let's than give this season. For I mean, like no doubt, no doubt. It's it's just weird that that people have already jumped ship on that so yeah. much when it's like man let's let's give this guy a little bit more time it's, instead of just like three quarters then he gets benched for
1: Fitzpatrick or something. That was that game was incredible. God, that was that was so much fun to watch. But I think that and by the way, if you watch that game, like uh, Kurt Warner kept speaking to this, it was like really really insightful and I think um, and interesting. He kept saying he's not NFL open. Like two is not seeing these people NFL open. What that means is like, Agreed, like yeah. you have to Not just throw them open, but like. You know, take more chances. And like when this guy doesn't look open, he ends up being like, you saw that with Fitzpatrick. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, what the hell? This is like next level stuff because he was like, you know, working at a grocery store and then became like the NFL MVP. But as soon as Fitzpatrick came in, he went right down the field um and scored like immediately. It, it, it all made sense what he had been saying. I think the two of stuff without, you know, he's a, he's a bus already it's just cuz he's like the most one of the most polarizing players for whatever reason like you know of the past 10 20 years and i'll say that Justin Herbert has had a much better year than him in the NFL this year. I I think he probably is more suited for the NFL than than Tua maybe after what i've seen this year. But the most impressive thing Tua has done all season is something no one thought he was going to be able to do, especially like people that that hate on him He's made it through healthy the entire year, uh, like you that's know, point. for the most part. Like he, he's still he's still thirteen months removed from a uh, hip surgery that like some people thought was going to end his entire career. So that that's been uh, good to see as well.
0: All right, I think that's all for for Bagman Edition. Thank you for everybody who submitted questions. I uh, thank you for everybody who has been able to, to follow along this season. Um, this weird, weird season that's just been so strange to cover on a variety of levels. Um, but hopefully everybody is able to uh, watch all these bowl games and is safe and happy and healthy as we enter a year that isn't 2020. I think we can all, oh, we can all cheers to that. So uh, make sure that you're following us on all forms of social media, at SDS, at the SDS pod, at... It's Vern Funquist at C.J. O'Gara on Twitter. Make sure that you are, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, you should definitely do that. Go subscribe to our Saturday football newsletter. That's Saturday.Football. If you are not already a member of the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, you totally should be. And yeah, I mean, we're going to keep providing great coverage throughout the entire bowl season. As I always say, SaturdayDownSouth.com is the one-stop shop for all things college football. Marler. Actually, bowl season. What do we need to remember? It just means it might oh God, just get to 2020. I don't know. I don't care. I should have had an Austin Powers line ready to go. <laughs> right, well, Fair. Talk to you guys soon.